a common denominator for success that I see for these patients is their health. You show me your habits, you show me what you're doing. I could tell you where you are in the spectrum of entrepreneurship. The best of the best outgrow the chaos. The best of the best are dialed in with They're dialed in with What are some of the problems normal people are having that are trying to become high performers? One thing that is profoundly surprising is What's up, Wealth Builders? Today, I've got a health expert in the mix. You guys know I have been on a health journey recently. I've actually put on over 10 pounds in less than two months in this new initiative to kind of get healthier, raise my testosterone, everything else. And this doctor is actually the doctor of many famous people who have actually been on my podcast. I'm not going to say who, um, but just think about some of the most jacked, in shape people you've seen. She is actually probably their doctor, and she's got a new book coming out here that is going to change the game and kill the stigma that you need to lose weight and lose obesity and all this. And we're actually going to talk about why building muscle is the thing you should be striving for. And it's good to know I'm on the right path. I've got Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. How's it going? You nailed it. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So, man, you, you got the new book coming out. What, what's, what's this all about? Yeah. So the new book is called Forever Strong. Okay. And it's interesting. People always ask me, well, how long did it take to write? And the answer is it took two years to write, but also 20 years of experience to build the concepts and the paradigm shifting disruptive nature of this book. Isn't that interesting? Like in science and business where it's like, I think I have this idea that this might be right. And then it takes 20 years to really fully justify it and get the hindsight. Like, yeah, it's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I had this aha moment. And first of all, I love what you're doing. I feel like you're talking more about health and wellness and your generation can be the healthiest, most articulate generation, I believe. Are you one of these people who believe we'll live to like we're 200? No. Okay. And I think the fact that we don't acknowledge that life is finite is a huge mistake right now. Okay. People don't acknowledge that it's short. Yeah. And we do all these things to improve longevity as opposed to being focused in the present moment. You show me your habits today. And I'm going to show you what your life is going to be like. Hmm. So do you think that like with all of these new, you know, things coming out and all the science and, and all the stuff that we'll get into that, like, it's not necessarily going to increase lifespan, but it'll increase like maybe just the quality. It will certainly increase the quality. The question becomes when we're trying to improve lifespan, what does that really mean? Does that mean the last two years you're in a nursing home and incapable? Yeah. How long are humans supposed to live? I, it is definitely about the health span. Yeah. And about living in a way where you're vibrant and capable. You know, you're an athlete. Yeah. The day when the day comes, if it, God forbid, ever were to come where you weren't able to pick up one of your three children. Yeah. That would mean something to you. Mm -hmm. But the goal is to be strong and capable throughout your whole life. And this idea of longevity, I think we're missing the mark because. Mm. There is an end in sight. It's the one thing I can promise everybody. Yeah. There's only one guarantee in life. That's it. You die. I mean, it sucks, mm -hmm. but it's true. So we got to maximize the finite time that we have here. We do. And, you know, you move very fast, right? Your life is very fast. Your brain is very fast. And in the health narrative and nutrition and medicine narrative, there's so much distraction. Yeah. And when you are distracted, individuals will do one of two things one, nothing, and utilize this constant information overload as an excuse to not take action. 
But the other thing that happens is that there's so much information that an individual will deploy what they think is right. And that window of youth closes. Mm, They already missed the boat. I mean, granted, it's never too late. I hate to say that, but there are things that you do when you are younger that are much easier. Mm. I mean, think about your kids. They can learn a language. They can do the splits. And as you progress through life and you mature, things become more difficult. Yeah. We've all seen that. Is that because just maybe like the elasticity of our brain is kind of like becoming more rigid and so we can't I guess, uh, be open to new ideas and things and our body just starts getting all this damage. <laughs> I mean, I, it's multifactorial, okay. but I absolutely believe there is less, number one, flexibility physically. Yeah. And the body is a full dynamic organism. So if you're less flexible in one area, mm-hmm. just hang with me here for a second. Physically, could you be less flexible mentally? Oh, for sure. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So I first became aware of you um, when my friend Lewis Howes interviewed you. And um, hey, Lewis. yeah, Lewis. Lewis is the Great man. Yeah. He, he spoke at um, WealthCon a few events ago. And I, uh, this was when I was kind of looking into health, starting to look into it more seriously. Because like about a year ago, I got a blood test for the first time in my life. I never had been tested because I've, I've, I've always felt good and healthy and like mm-hmm. I've, I've lifted weights regularly. I'm still strong. Um, and so I was like, eh, it's whatever. And then people were like, dude, you know, you're getting kind of like in your, your mid thirties now, you should probably start testing and seeing where you're at. And so I got a blood test and I think my testosterone, which is like the big one that people look at was like 300. And then my free test, if I remember was like nine or something. And I was like, man, I don't want to get on any kind of drugs or anything. What can I do? And so I started just like researching and I bought a bunch of like supplements off Amazon. So I was, I was got like DHEA and boron and, um, pregnenolone and like all these different things. And I raised it to 500 just from that. I didn't change my workout or my diet. What about your free testosterone? That jumped. I don't want to misquote it, but I want to say it jumped to like 15 maybe. Okay. And from there, just kind of like plateaued and that was it. And then I decided to go to a doctor and he was like, well, you know, you got two options here, dude. I mean, you can go on TRT or you can um, do Clomid if you don't want to do that. I was like, I'll try Clomid. Like, I don't want to get on this thing. And so I did Clomid and I got to like 800 but I didn't really feel different, to be honest. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't noticeably different. I didn't feel any different. It was just kind of like whatever. Yeah. But it wasn't until recently that I got on TRT and peptides that I was like, holy crap. All right. This is different. And what peptides did you try? Um, it's hard to say off the top of my head. There's like six. <laughs> yeah. One was BPC. Um, one is Tessa Morlin. One is semaglutide. And this was just like the first stack. Right. Um, I can't think of the other ones off the top of my head. Yeah. Just curious. Yeah. Um, very forward thinking of you. Um, and I agree with you. Clomid is a place to start. Yeah. It's a selective estrogen receptor modulator. It is, it can be helpful. Yeah. But men feels so much better on testosterone. It's just the truth. Yeah. Um, it, 
it, it just is the truth. Yeah. I mean, my negative stigma was from just being an athlete, like all this stuff was illegal. You know, you, you can't play. And so I was like, oh, dude, I'm never going to take any of that stuff. And then I think I was scarred from growing up playing baseball during the steroid era, mm-hmm. where I'm now looking at these guys who are on all these steroids and their bodies are just like toast. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want any of these side effects. And then finally, what happened was somebody told me they were like, look, dude, the, the side effects aren't what you think they are. Like there's very little side effect to any of these peptides and everything else. Yeah, I I want to highlight something that you said that's very important. This idea that steroids have a bad rap because they do. But the question is why? For example, as a physician, I could prescribe you drugs to make you lose weight. Mm-hmm. I could give you semaglutide, I could give you trisepatide, which is Mongerno. But there has there is a point in time where if I were to, to prescribe you testosterone or an anabolic, it's, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's a big issue. Yeah. Think about how backwards that is. So what I'm saying is because of the context that steroids play, we've created and attached an emotional response to it Mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily relevant. Because if we think about it, you're on TRT right now. Yep. Would someone say, oh, that's anabolics? Yes, but you're not using it in an abusive way. You're also not using it in a irresponsible way. But testosterone isn't isn't even FDA approved for women. (laughs) Entrepreneurs, if you want to grow your business, there is no better investment than your own personal brand. The smartest thing I ever did was start creating content and investing into my brand. Ever since then, we've been able to triple our business. I've been able to raise more money than ever to continue buying more real estate. And it's all because I create content just like this. Now, a lot of people have asked me, Ryan, how am I supposed to do it? I don't know where to start. I don't know who's going to edit it. I don't know even what kind of setup or camera or anything to do. Well, here's the thing. We can help you with all of that at Pineda Media. We have a podcast checklist that you can actually get for free at PinedaMedia.com that's going to go over everything you need on starting a podcast. But to make matters even better, we'll actually edit your podcast for you. We'll repurpose it into short form clips like you see on my Instagram and my TikTok so that people will start seeing those clips and watching your podcast and in turn being customers or investors in your business. So if you want the one-stop solution where you can get everything done for you, plus get the education you need to grow your personal brand, then you need to go to PinedaMedia.com and book a free call with our team. You can also go get that free podcast checklist and that training program absolutely free by just going there. So go check it out. This is the backwardsness of how medicine is right now. Nearly any physician could prescribe a medication to make someone less obese. Yeah. But would get huge pushback to prescribe something to make more healthy muscle. Yeah. I never even thought about that, but that's kind of the point of your book. Yeah. Yeah. But it changes the whole paradigm, but even think about it just from a logistics standpoint that that testosterone, I mean, now it's, I I think a little bit softer. People are starting to accept it, but it's still not FDA approved for women. Yeah. And even these peptides, which have been around for quite some time, some they've taken off the market now, but are considered fringe. Yeah. And any other kind of anabolic agent that is used for 
bone density or tendon repair or sarcopenia, which is loss of skeletal muscle. As a physician, if a physician prescribes that, they could get in some serious trouble at a risk of losing their license. Wow. Uh, Why? Agendas? Uh, who knows? Because that, that was my Legis biggest, yeah. Just, you know. It just is what the, it is. The legislation or whatever it is. Right. It, it can't be a safety profile. I, I mean, again, you're not talking about pushing to high levels or massive physiological responses. Mm -hmm. We're talking about how do we use pharmacological agents to treat the health of skeletal muscle. Mm -hmm. So what's the question we need to be asking ourselves to like the first step towards getting healthy? Because most people think it's like, oh, well, obesity. Most people are obese. And so I got to lose fat. What do you think? Figure out where your weaknesses are. Okay. Where are you weak? Everybody focuses on strengths. Where are you weak? Where do you fall off any kind of plan? And when I say weaknesses, they are, again, I've been a physician since 2006. That means I've seen a lot of patients. And a good physician is good at diagnosing diseases. An effective physician is good at recognizing people. Mm. The first step in any kind of plan is who's in front of you. And it's more important for them to know a few things. Number one, where do they fail? Right? Like as an athlete, do you really care what your strengths are? You already dominate in that. Right. Where are you weak? Where do you, where do you fail? Are you charging hard, not going to sleep? Are you going out to eat? Are you missing whatever the physicals that you're supposed to be going to? Whatever it is. So number one, where do you fail? Number two, what are you worthy of having? Do you actually feel worthy of having the body and health that mm. you desire? Number three. Where are you now and are those actions meeting the necessary movements to bring you to who you want to be in the future? So you have to collapse the two. Every action has to be met with an answer, right? So we're having coffee. It's in the afternoon. We're having it, man. I'm having that coffee. But if we were to do that at, at four or five, if we know that we're looking to optimize our health and well-being to show up fully, Every action has to have an answer. So that's where I would start. Mm, because having it at five is going to screw up my sleep. Yeah. Okay. Again, you have to know where you're at. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you have to figure out who do you want to be? What do you want to be? You want to be strong? You want to be capable? And you build an action plan for that. I mean, I'm in the business of making people stronger. Physically, mentally, the best version of themselves. And medicine is the modality that I use. So a lot of people back when I was playing, right? It'd be like, look good, feel good, play good. Yeah. You know? And okay. I think there's this thing happening where people are very um, insecure. People are very self-conscious and maybe social media has done that to people where they feel like they don't measure up because, you know, they're comparing themselves to the elite of the elite. Right. And one thing I've always thought about is like, man, I mean, my mental strength has always been pretty strong because I like what I see in the mirror. I like the things that I'm doing and therefore mentally I'm stronger. Um, so it's like, man, I've always tried to figure out how to stay in shape and look good and like feel good and all these, like, I, it's hard to say one leads to the other, but they all just kind of go together. Yeah. You know, I would say that the highest performers that I take care of 
there's not a dichotomy between how they look and how they're executing in their, in their life. It's very translatable. Those skills are translatable, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that you can't be uber successful and not be together physically. But what I will tell you is that the common denominator for success that I see for these patients is their health. Mm-hmm. An individual will only ever go as high as their health. That's it. It's the common denominator. Because again, you can push as hard as you want, but at some point you have to answer that call. Yeah. At some point your body just gives out. That's right. Yeah. So the most skilled entrepreneurs, in fact, if you, I'm going to go out on a limb and say something. Okay. You show me your habits and I will be able to tell you. So uh, again, I would love for someone to show me what they do on a daily basis. You show me your habits. You show me what you're doing. I could tell you where you are in the spectrum of entrepreneurship. Wow. Because what you do health-wise and everything is probably reflective of how disciplined you are in in business and everything. Mm Mm-hmm. There's the rookies and they are late nights, early morning, skipping workouts, erratic eating. They probably just named half the the world, right? (laughs) Comment Um, below if that's you. (laughs) um, But that's a rookie move. There's no consistency. There's no consistency. The best entrepreneurs, the best military operators, I could call them and they would be able to tell me what they ate three weeks ago on a Sunday at two o'clock. The best of the best outgrow the chaos. The best of the best are dialed in with training. They're dialed in with their nutrition. They're dialed in with their medicine, whatever Mm. it is that they are or are not taking. And they're dialed in with a limited amount of supplementation. Right. And they are executing. It is robotic. It requires no extra effort or thoughts. Yeah, it's just habits. And to me, I think it comes down to can you raise your standards for what you, you, you deem acceptable? Because, you know, like I'll, I'll have this talk with people and I'll be like, Hey, I want you to start waking up at this time so you can get, you know, some quiet time. Like for me, I've had a morning routine for seven years now. And how do you do that with three kids? <laughs> I know right now with a newborn too. So how are you doing that? Discipline. No way. You got to have a night nurse. We do need a night nurse. We don't have one. We have I a nanny. I a great one for you. Yeah, <laughs> I we, do. we should have one. But I still wake up at five, regardless of the newborn. And I still keep my same routine. Nothing has changed. Like I'm, I'm going to go, um, like my routine for the last seven years is wake up, spend an hour on my faith. So I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. I'll journal. I'll meditate. You know, I have a planner. I'll fill all that stuff out. And then I'll go work out right after. And I have a gym at my house. So now I can just walk downstairs, get my workout in and, and do that. So by seven 30, I've already done like all this stuff. And so by the time I shower and get ready for work, like I've already done all the most important things in my life, faith, family, health. It's like, all right, well, business is easy at this point. Like I'm already good. Like, I don't, and I also don't have anxiety to worry about like, dang, dude, I got to go home and I still right. got to go get this workout in. And you know, it's already done. Yeah. If you are trying to grow your real estate investing business, then you need to join us at Wealthy Investor. You have no idea what Wealthy Investor is. It is our coaching program and community. We have helped thousands of students worldwide grow their business. Now, it doesn't matter if you're just getting started and you're trying to get that first deal. We can help you do that. If you're trying to scale your business and go from a few deals a year to a few deals a month or even seven figures a year, 
we can help you do that too. In fact, last year alone, we had over 30 students do over a million dollars in revenue. And I'd love for you to be the next one. So it's pretty simple. If you're trying to grow your business and wholesale more homes or flip more homes or buy more rental properties, then you need to go to wealthyinvestor.com and book a free call with our team. It's super simple. We'll go on a strategy call with you and figure out how we can help you grow according to your needs. So all you got to do is go to wealthyinvestor.com, book the free call with the team, and we'll see you there. When people get up and knock it out, that's exactly, in my recommendation, that's exactly what they should be doing. So you think everyone should, like, if they can, be a morning person and just yeah. knock that stuff yes, out? Yes, okay. I do. Is there a medical reason? No, but just seems from efficiency and really staying consistent. I do think when things are chaotic, uh, people make unhealthy choices. Mm -hmm. uh, you nailed it. Now, the question is, what do you do for your training? What do I do? Yeah. Um, so my workouts are four days a week of weight training. So I lift heavy weights. So, I mean, I'll do mainly Olympic lifts. So bench press, clean squats. I mean, I'll still do curls and like, you know, triceps and stuff, but very like Olympic and then like very dynamic type stuff. Um, I don't do any cardio. I don't do any like high volume things. Everything is like eight reps or less. And I've been doing that pretty much my entire life. That's incredible. That's incredible. So you are already on the journey to be forever strong. You're laying a foundation for yourself and your family and your kids. You know, right now, the issue is we've been so focused on what we have to lose for the last 50 years. You know, I, I would love to tell the story about where muscle-centric medicine came yeah, from. Yeah, let's, let's hear it. So I graduated high school early and I moved in with my godmother and she was a nutritionist, a PhD at the time, and mm. she still is. And she was the time before functional medicine was a thing, right? So like the generation before. Have you heard of functional medicine? It's, I mean, I, I heard the word. I don't yeah. know really what it means. So it's, it's this idea of root cause medicine. Okay. This was the generation before we even started thinking about longevity or preventative medicine. She was that generation, the generation before it was in the forefront. And fast forward nutrition, I just became totally obsessed with nutrition. Went and did an undergraduate uh, degree at University of Illinois. And then fast forward, did medical school, two years of psychiatry, three years of family practice. And then I did a postdoc. So I went back to WashU and I did geriatric medicine and nutritional sciences. Geriatrics is over the age of 65. Mm -hmm. Over the age of 65, when you are seeing it, it's typically uh, part of that is end of life. Also, we ran a memory clinic. And then on the weekends, it's like nursing home. Do you, have you ever seen anyone with dementia? No, it is devastating. Mm -hmm. It is. You will never forget it. And then early mornings and later in the evenings, I was doing obesity research. And we we're working on this study where we're looking at the interface between brain function and volume and obesity. So I imaged this woman's brain and she was a mom of three and like the nicest human and always put herself last. And her brain looked like the early brain of an Alzheimer's patient. And I felt responsible. I felt that I had failed her, that the medical community had failed her, that she was doing exactly what people were telling her to do, you know, eat less, exercise more. Mm. And when I just dove into the literature and I just kept thinking about what 
how are we asking this question wrong? What if we were asking the correct question and framing obesity right, then we would have found a solution. We're only getting fatter and sicker. Mm. So potentially it means one of two things. Either we're asking the wrong question or we're asking the wrong question. So maybe it's one of one thing. <laughs> or there's an agenda promoting the wrong information. I mean, there's something. Yeah. And then I realized that the commonality between all my sickest patients wasn't that they were over fat. It was that they all had unhealthy skeletal muscle. Mm. And then if we shifted the paradigm from what people have to lose and stopped focusing so much on obesity, that the health of skeletal muscle was at the root cause of all of these things in part. When you say skeletal muscle, is that just muscle? Like, yeah. Okay. Contracting skeletal muscle, biceps, quads. Okay. There's um, skeletal muscle, cardiac muscle, and smooth muscle. Okay. Skeletal muscle is the striated muscle that you have voluntary control over. Got it. And it is an organ system. Skeletal muscle is an organ system. It is the organ of longevity. It is an organ system just like the cardiovascular system, just like the pulmonary system. And when you contract skeletal muscle, it releases things. It releases myokines that interface with the body and the brain and the liver and the immune system. Skeletal muscle is the pinnacle of health and wellness. And we have completely missed the mark. And you know why? Because when you think about skeletal muscle, what do you think about? Jersey Shore. <laughs> yeah, just these jack bodybuilders. Yeah. That completely misses the point at how critical skeletal muscle is and the role that it plays in medicine. Mm. Insulin resistance, diabetes, all these things that we talk about, they're not, they're not issues out there. They're issues in skeletal muscle that could begin before you even see signs of body fat. Yeah, that so makes sense. That's where muscle-centric medicine was born. So speaking of that, right? Now that we're talking about this, right? Steroids and stuff have a negative stigma. Um, you're, you're talking about muscles and you think Jersey Shore, you think the bodybuilders right. and all these guys who it's like, they can't even move. They're just massive. And then, you know, when you're thinking obese, you're, you're talking about people who are just obese, right? Is there, I guess, a, an optimal body composition? Because you and I are both very lean, but muscular. We're not these massive bodybuilders. Like to me, I feel great. I don't want to be 30 pounds heavier, full of muscle. I don't feel like that's healthy as, as healthy as I am right now. You are asking a critical question. And the question you're asking is what is the optimal body composition? Yeah. And my answer would be, we don't know. Okay. And number one, we have not been directly measuring skeletal muscle mass. So DEXA, where you go and you get a DEXA scan is largely body fat and bone density. It always says I'm like way fatter than I think. But <laughs> but what's shocking is to the point that we're still not measuring skeletal muscle mass directly. The idea that people would routinely do a CT or MRI to measure tissue so where you could actually see it, it's not realistic. Mm. But we measure body fat. Therefore, I think we are somewhat behind in the science. We know what percent body fat is typically not ideal, right? 30% yeah. is considered obese. I'm sure some individuals could be less than 30% and they are still having abnormalities in their blood. Yeah. Um, individuals with skeletal muscle mass, I couldn't tell you, Ryan, what your optimal, optimal skeletal muscle mass is. Hmm. I mean, in my book, I, I work with a PhD from Princeton. So she went to Princeton. She's now doing her postdoc, Alexis Cowan. She's amazing. Um, 
And we looked through the literature, we created some charts of what we believe to be a more optimal skeletal muscle mass. But the reality is we are not, you don't go to your doctor and your doctor doesn't go, hey, you're this percent muscle mass. Yeah. There's, there's just no measure for it. Like BMI would be the dumbest measure. I mean, that's dumb. <laughs> yeah. I, I would rather have someone do body fat percentage and then how strong are you? And yeah. then know that there's always a capacity to improve. Do you think like maybe pound for pound strength would be a great indicator? I think it's a great start. Yeah. I think strength is dependent on the person, if they're just starting, if they're not, all kinds of things, right? But strength and looking at also how they feel. Yeah, because that's one I was thinking about because I've interviewed multiple Mr. Olympias and athletes. I've interviewed Jay Cutler and Flex Lewis, and I've interviewed um, guys in the NFL like Vaughn Miller. And what you see is a lot of these guys when they're competing, just they don't feel great because they have to eat so much food to put on the mass required for their position, whether they're a lineman or a Mr. Olympia. Jay Cutler was telling me he was like, yeah. Every day I would drink 30 eggs so every morning and I would have to eat just these crazy amounts of yeah. food and I feel terrible, but that was what was necessary. And then the moment they stopped competing, they all slimmed down to totally. like a I, much better, like natural weight. That's right. I have a, a patient who's a, a former multi Olympian and he's like, I don't care about food. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Be because even for me now, it's not like I'm eating crazy amounts of food. I, I would say I was, so I was 180 pounds for literally 12 years straight between plus or minus five pounds. Right now I'm, I'm 190 ish and I am eating more food to accommodate, you know, just whatever. I don't even know why I'm, I'm just doing it. Cause I'm like, you know what, let's see how big I could get just like doing this, but not like crazy amounts, right. maybe like 2,700 calories would be what I'm eating. And even now I'm like, dude, this is a lot of food. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't like eating this much food just naturally. And maybe I'll get used to it, but it definitely impacts how you feel when you eat too much food. Right. How, and what are your ratios? Do you know how much protein yeah. you take in a day? Right now I'm doing about 200 grams of protein, uh, 250 carbs, and I want to say like 80, 90 fat. That, that sounds like a great ratio. Okay. Good. I think that sounds great. Okay. And uh, you've put on muscle. Yep. You know, I think that the most controversial thing that people get confused about is diet. It's, it's so religious. We very rarely have a conversation that is not emotional when it comes to nutrition, at least out there, which is shocking because it's somewhat empirical data, right? Mm -hmm. So what's uh, the proper diet? Well, the amazing part, now you're putting me on the spot, the amazing part is that there's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of flexibility. Humans can do well with a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I couldn't tell anyone the perfect diet for them, but I would definitely say based on the research that I've done, based on my training, that there are certain things that are potentially not interchangeable over the long term. Okay. And that would be optimizing for dietary protein. You have to do that is an essential macronutrient. Carbohydrates can take it or leave it. How much, how much protein should someone be eating? I've always heard like a gram per body weight. That's a, it's a great starting place. Yeah. Just to put it into perspective, the RDA, what's recommended now is the minimum to, to prevent deficiencies. And that's at 0.37 grams per pound. Yeah, it's nothing. But, <laughs> but when people get sick, think about it. When people, and let's just put this again in perspective. 
vitamin C recommendation is 60 milligrams. Okay. When you get a cold, do you think I should probably take some more vitamin C? Yeah. You do. If you were to get sick or yeah, say if you were to get sick, would you think, gosh, I need to eat more protein? You, you wouldn't think that now. People don't say that. But they should. Yeah. It's the minimum to prevent deficiencies. Got it. So if you're 115 pounds, if you're a 115 pound human, then you calculate that out 0.37, you're getting around 45 grams of dietary protein a day. That's, you know, a couple of chicken breasts and you're done. That's like, yeah, nothing. 45 <laughs> grams a day. I don't recommend anyone going under a hundred. Right. So the RDA was established. They haven't changed it since 1968, by the way. Our wow. protein recommendations have not changed since 1968. <laughs> you mean to tell me there's no new science or maybe there's some influence as to why that hasn't been discussed. I have my own theories, but um, it is clear in the aging literature and as your hormones shift that a higher protein diet, more optimal protein diet is closer to 0. 0.7 to one gram per pound ideal body weight. Okay. So for easy numbers, for those listening, I mean, take what you weigh and just one gram of protein for body weight. Or, so. or where you want to weigh. Yeah. So if you have a weight to lose and you are 200 pounds and you want to be 150 pounds, do it that way. Right. And I actually, I cover all this in, in the book. Okay. Uh, it's evidence-based book about how to do it. Yeah. And just make it very easy because everyone should be able to know what they sh they're eating. So you were talking about carbs and fat. What do you yeah. think of those? I could care less. Okay. Like You're just like, whatever, pro just whatever get your protein. You so hit protein because that's essential. Yep. Even though we talk about it in a generic term, we talk about protein as if it's one thing. It's not. It's 20 different amino acids, each and nine of which are essential, meaning you have to get it from the diet. And each of the amino acids are nutrients. But we never talk about that. You literally pick up a protein bar and it just says protein. Mm -hmm. But that protein is made up of 20 different individual amino acids, all with diverse biological roles. Got it. They're not interchangeable. Got it. I think that that is going to be the next frontier where they're, start to, where they're going to look at essential amino acids. They're going to look at methionine, leucine, and lysine, and there's going to be a scoring system. We're not there yet. They're starting to put this into practice. Mm -hmm. um, but dietary protein, it's essential. You'll die without it. Right. Carbohydrates. Why do you care about carbohydrates? I mean, there's enough evidence to suggest that fiber is good for you. Yeah. You get fiber from carbohydrates. Yeah. And then fat, we need essential fatty acids. But between carbohydrates and fats, I think the two are interchangeable. Yeah. I agree too. So I have always been on a low carb, high fat diet my whole life. So the years I've maintained 180, my typical diet would have been like, 200 grams of protein-ish, um, probably like 100 to 150 carbs. And I'm talking macros for those listening. And probably like 100 fat or something like that. And that was my diet. And I felt totally fine, you know? And I felt like I had enough energy and muscle and everything else. And the only reason I'm on high carb right now is because I'm trying to gain weight. And so they're like, dude, you got to eat more carbs. And it's really hard for me to eat carbs. Like my body is like... Dude, I don't want any more fruit. Like I didn't eat fruit before. I just never ate it. Why? Just because? I don't know. It's just like high carb and mm. I like fruit. I just never ate it. I don't know. Really? Yeah. And where are you from? Here, Vegas. So you're from Vegas? Yeah. Well, not much grows here, so it's Yeah. Like well, my dad's from the Philippines. So okay. like I do like mangoes and tropical stuff. 
And I don't know. I just never ate it because like in my mind, and I think this goes back to all these stigmas and why I'm so open to these things now. But like I had this stigma in my mind that fruit, you know, doesn't have protein. It's just like pure sugar and it doesn't really help me that much. That was my stigma. I don't know that it's true, but it's just, I don't know. I've always operated. I, I think that there's a place for fruit in the diet. Okay. I think that there is, I mean, granted the fruits that we have today, many of them don't have the same sugar content. They have changed over time. But again, if you are training, your body is capable. So that's another reason why skeletal muscle is so important because it's the cypher glucose disposal. Mm -hmm. The more muscle you have, the more room you have to place something, to place carbohydrates, to place glucose as glycogen. Got it. I am not anti-fruit. Okay. At all. I mean, I prefer a higher fiber fruit, like a berry, because listen, that has anthocyanins in it. It has other compounds that are really important. You know, the other thing is that we talk about macros, but we're not just eating for the macros. We're not just eating for the protein, carbohydrates, and fats. We're eating for the things that ride along with it. For example, if you're eating beef, you're eating for creatine, carnitine, taurine, and serine, bioavailable iron, zinc, selenium. Right. If you're eating you know, blackberries, you're eating for anthocyanins, you're eating for vitamin C, you're eating for fiber. Mm -hmm. You're eating for different compounds, mm -hmm. not just the, the macronutrients. Right. So the more nutrient-dense foods that you pick, the better. Yeah. And I'm guilty of that too, because like, I'll just try to hit my macros and I'll be like, eh, I got 200 calories. I could <laughs> eat this ice cream and I'm going to hit it and it'll be just <laughs> fine. Um, so I know that ice cream is not the most dense food. But again, you're training a lot and you're training heavy. Yeah. Like it's not affecting me. Like I agree. And I, I think that if you are happy where your body composition is at, and you also have designed a plan that's very well suited for you, not against, uh, ice cream, right? Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Cause there are some people that are like very, very against anything processed. And so I guess too, I, the way I look at it, and I'm sure you, you, you give people different feedback, but is like, if I can't, if I make it my life, I guess, just like terrible and I don't want to eat anything that could be bad. I think I'm going to break way more than I would staying consistent, having a, you know, ice cream a few times a week and then, you know, being good the other 90 plus percent. There is something important about humans being flexible. And also we are not always in the perfect feeding conditions. So I mentioned before, my husband was a former SEAL. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if he was overseas somewhere and he's like, no, I, I can't eat that. Um, yeah. It's not gluten-free. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, humans are, you know, we are designed to eat what is available. Mm -hmm. Yes, we live in a world where things are highly palatable and probably not ideal that it's available. But the reality is, is we still have to be able to interface with the natural world. Right. And... If you know that if you are 100% eating a certain way, then you're going to set yourself up for failure. Remember what I, I said in the beginning, you asked me, where do I have people start? That is an example of knowing strengths and weaknesses. And the way that we're defining weakness here is very arbitrary. We're saying that's going off a nutrition plan. Mm -hmm. But if we create a plan that has exceptions that are planned for, then you can execute off that. Right. Versus 
completely falling off the wagon, having one of your big events and then go, okay, yeah. well, that was so stressful. I need cake now for the next five days. Yeah. Cause it's gotta be a plan that you can believe in that like, Hey, you know what? I can follow that plan. Because if you already know going into the plan, you're like, dude, I do not want to do this plan. This sucks. Yeah. It's just, it's far easier to maintain a lifestyle than it is to get, I guess, to that desired style. Um, and when you're in your thirties, get that right. Otherwise, you're going to spend your 40s, 50s, and 60s trying to undo habits mm. that you don't want to have to do. I have seen this. Yeah. If you nail your habits and behaviors now and become deeply aware of how you are executing, then you will prevent yourself from having to go back and readdress your architecture. Mm -hmm. The architecture of your core fundamental beliefs, the architecture of your behaviors. Think about it. I'm sure you know some more mature individuals that still can't get on their diet, still trying to lose the same 20 pounds. They're always just like this, very inconsistent. Whatever it is, start as young as you can. Yeah. And I want to mention something about processed foods. The reality is we also have a world to feed. It's a, it's a large, like 8 billion, I don't even know how many people now. Mm -hmm. We have to feed a lot of people. Is processed foods horrible for you? Um, I think that one could say whey is a processed food. Yeah. No one is saying that whey is horrible or cheeses or yogurt. Those are all processed foods. I can appreciate this idea that highly palatable Twinkies might be bad for you, right? That yeah. could be uh, not what we're going for. But to just say that because something is processed that we shouldn't use it. Now, I want to say something else because you're a business guy. Mm -hmm. Tell me, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Who controls the narrative? The marketing team. So that you're saying that the marketing team, would you say that the marketing team with the most money controls the narrative? Mm-hmm. You would. Yeah. You would. Whoever okay. has the most attention. Okay. And can attention be bought? Oh, yeah. So if you had a group of foods called commodities, like beef and chicken and corn and soy and almonds that had a collective marketing budget of 750 million, all a dairy, all of cows, independent farmers, like you don't know, do you know the farm down the street? Nope. What about the farm down the street from that street? Mm-mm. What about milk for your kids? I don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it comes from, right? When I say milk, what is the tagline? Got milk. When I say beef, what do you say? <laughs> I don't know what you say. What's for dinner? Okay. Pork. I don't know. The either. other, oh, Ryan. I don't know any other, of these slogans. Okay, the other. White meat. White meat. You yep. got it. You okay. know it. Yep. Those are commodities. They okay. are single sourced food. Like there's food sources, eggs. Their collective marketing budget for all of those things, when they pool together their resources, which is under the jurisdiction of the USDA, is $750 million. Mm. They can never say anything disparaging against something else. Have you ever seen an ad where it says, milk is a better source of calcium than almond juice? No. Milk is a better source of calcium than oat juice. You've never seen that, right? You've never seen beef or chicken say, oh no, this is a better source than your Franken yeah. fake chicken, right? I Never. Th I think Chick-fil-A is the only one. <laughs> They're just calling out the cows. Right? Yeah. And now I'm going to highlight something to you. All processed foods are under a different jurisdiction. Okay. FTC. We'll say FTC. 
their one company, let's say PepsiCo, has a marketing budget of almost $2 billion. <laughs> yeah. Now, I just told you, collectively, all these small farms, all of these commodities, all of them, $750 million. PepsiCo, $2 billion. Not only that, have you seen ads that this is carbon neutral or uh, this fake meat is better for you than this real meat? Heck yeah. And, and by the way, when I see that, I'm just like, how? <laughs> like, because they are not under the same jurisdiction. They can say whatever they want. Right. Now I ask you again, who has the money to spend on marketing? All the processed food companies. They spend the money on the marketing and whoever controls the money controls the narrative. Right. That is one reason why I wrote this frigging book. Yeah. Because it also talks about the history. Because mm. right now, everybody is divided. They're arguing about animal agriculture and cows killing the planet. Free range chickens. There's all this stuff. And every four months, something new comes out. Mm -hmm. Right. That makes, that makes sense that they attack the free range chickens and that, you know, they're like, oh yeah, there's not enough, there's not enough livestock and they're polluting the earth. Yeah. Um, marginal land is the only place livestock can go. Something called marginal land. There's nothing else you can do with that land yep. than graze cattle Yep. or graze ruminants. That's it. It's marginal land. Crops don't grow there. There's nothing. And by the way, when we talk about animal agriculture in the U.S. and agriculture in general, Ryan, we are never going to be able to eat our way out of climate change. Mm. Collectively, it's about 9%. <laughs> Industry, electricity, and transportation make up 80-some percent. Tell me the last time you heard that in the media. None. Never. But what we're worried if, about the chickens. Wait. But I just told you, even if you eliminated all cattle, you are not going to move the needle. Mm -hmm. So tell me, why is there this massive smokescreen battling out about nutrition religion versus focusing on actually what does the evidence show? Mm -hmm. Wait, so, what's your answer? The more we argue with each other, the more it takes away from what's actually happening, right? So if we are so blinded, you know, humans are interesting. They parrot information over and over again. The more you hear the information, the more truth you believe that it has. Just because something is repeated doesn't make it accurate. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about these conversations as if, you know, I'll post something on Instagram about how, um, you know, you're never going to eat your way out of climate change. I mean, I just wake up and choose violence that day. <laughs> right. The people are pissed. But for what? Yeah. For what? Wake up. You literally could be vegan for two years or take one transatlantic flight to discount anything. Yeah. It's a smokescreen. And then what happens is, is it creates division. Yeah. And vigilantes. Why, why would they want division? It's a great question. Yeah. In my mind, um, it's usually always profit driven. Again, I, I don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I was doing the history for writing this book, 
I was very interested. I think in order to know where we're going and in order to know why we are where we are, we have to look at the past. We have to identify just because we weren't alive, are we recreating conversations that had already happened? Are we recreating movements that had already happened? And that's exactly what we're doing in nutrition. Mm. You know, when they were faced, when America was faced with losing the country. So there was a Great Depression, World War I, Great Depression, and then World War II. Yeah, I'm short. Next time you guys have a booster chair. For me. <laughs> um, when they drafted the first million soldiers, 38% of them were not capable for war. Just okay. physically. Physically. Yeah. And here's what they documented. Flabby muscles, poor eyesight, poor teeth, tired, like not fit for war. Obviously, this was considered somewhat of a state of emergency. They called this nutrition. They did this some kind of nutrition conference or collective committee. And they made recommendations. Mm -hmm. Because... They needed Americans to be strong. They needed soldiers to be strong. They needed Americans to be strong. They needed people to be able to work and build things for war. They came out with two pamphlets. They said, this is one recommendation that is going to feed Uncle Sam. You're going to help Uncle Sam. And the other recommendation is you're going to feed, you're going to help Hitler. <laughs> okay. okay. This is 1943. <laughs> yeah. Here's what they recommended. High protein. You should be eating beef, liver, eggs. They included butter, which is not protein, but they included butter. Eat fresh fruits and vegetables. Limit processed foods. If you want to help Hitler, do the exact opposite. <laughs> Throw away all meat and liver and give yeah. it to someone else. Eat white bread, processed foods. Not to mention, they also included um, like have electrolytes and sodium yeah. to help Uncle Sam. When the U.S.'s back was against the wall, they made these recommendations. And if someone were to go back and look at some of this literature, which is out there, they acknowledged the importance of healthy skeletal muscle as a way to protect our country. They knew this a hundred years ago. They rationed soldiers had about 250 grams of protein. Jeez. And they found that those, they would recover better. They, there's again, documentation on all of this. Mm -hmm. Processed food companies, um, Sylvester, Sylvester Graham came onto the scene. Sylvester Graham had, uh, this was an indiv individual who was believed that in order to be a moral human, you had to get rid of sex and alcohol and you should just eat very plainly. No, like it was no beef. It was, it was almost like no animal products. It was all like, yeah, this guy sounds like a loser. Totally. What, yeah. a, what a jerk. What a jerk. Right? Yeah. No sex, no alcohol, no protein. His, right. What's he going to say next? So his name was Sylvester, Sylvester Graham. Okay. And he felt that that was the way of, of being moral. I'm going to look him up. Yes. And he um, had a really great friend. You Hitler? <laughs> close, close. And guess who his friend was? Who? He's a guy named uh, John Kellogg. Okay, here we go. John Kellogg made granola yep. after Graham. And also the graham cracker. They named it after this loser? <laughs> this guy. Okay. Now we have this influence of processed foods and money. Ah. See, I was asking you where the agenda came from, and I knew we would get to it. And, I knew it. And again, um, obviously it's not the time, but there's more to this story. 
And this is, I'm painting it from my perspective and from the literature and the history. Now, the facts. But I mean, people can go look this up. Yep. The interesting part was individuals at home were rationed, right? So rationed and all the foods, many of the foods like meats and animal-based products were sent to soldiers overseas. They were encouraged at home to grow victory gardens and save the high quality foods for the soldiers and those who needed it. Somehow that message is reemerging. Now individuals are self-rationing. Do you see with this conversation of reduced dietary protein? Mm. Build quote victory gardens. So somewhere along the line, something happened. And the only thing that I can imagine is money. Yeah, for sure. But at one point we acknowledged all of these things to be valuable and important. Mm -hmm. And now here we are again in a nutrition space where the conversation is not just nutrition. Yeah. It is conversation. It is nutrition wrapped with morality, political agenda, you name it. Yeah. Emotion. And that's why I think the younger generation is really confused. Yeah. Um, I would say I've been studying nutrition for 20 years. Yeah. It wasn't like this. No. Let me give my subjective non-PhD, um, not conspiracy theory, but just uh, observing it from a business point of view of why these things would happen and based on other, you know, I don't know, take it for what it's worth. So I agree. I think that money is the reason all of this happens. I think that whether it's food or drugs, the, the it's the same. I was actually watching um, that recent documentary on Netflix about Oxycontin. I don't know mm. if you saw that. I haven't seen it yet. Um, really good. Just about how they even got Oxycontin out there to the masses and how it penetrated through all of these other um, drugs. But it was all money driven, right? Like they just, they got really good salespeople to go sell it to these doctors and then they got people to prescribe it and hooked on it. And that's how it blew up so quickly. And when I think about all these other things like Kellogg's and cereal. It's like, how did breakfast cereal become this good thing? Like, what the heck? How did pancakes become a part of breakfast? And, you know, none of it really makes sense. You look at the American breakfast. It's like the most unhealthy thing ever. It's like, let's start our day with that. And let's now start making fake food and say that tofu and that this freaking impossible burger is way better than a real burger and, you know, it's just pure carbs and fat and like a little bit of protein. Sounds like a really good lab created meat. And then let's go out and say that, um, you know, the cows are the problem and that's why you're going to eat this crap. And it's just like, these are great mar marketing tactics to get people to believe that. Right. And, but nobody with a brain would think that. I'm just like, why would you think that this thing, this guy, like even macro, it, just looking at the macros, they don't compare. But let's say they do. Okay. Even if they compared, the metabolomics of the two yeah. products are different. Yeah. The metabolomics, meaning the um, intermediates or the nutrients, it, it's different. The way it's utilized in the body, what it has is different. It's not interchangeable. Yeah. And here's why I care about this. Because if we put this message out there, like Meatless Monday, mm -hmm. who is it going to affect? It's going to affect anyone who gets government funding. It's going to affect our military, our nursing homes, our children, our schools. Humans, think about, we were talking about architecture, we were talking about behaviors, we were talking about things. 
if you, you said to me, I don't know, I don't eat fruit just because maybe I haven't eaten fruit for so long. Yeah. What if you were told that about protein? Oh man. But that's what we are telling our youth right now. Yeah. And they don't know any better. They don't know any better and they trust us to protect them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's happening not just with food, but everything. <laughs> I, I mean, okay, <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're talking to them about just ideologies of life and religion and food. And like, it's like you said, the most confused generation ever. But it has the opportunity to be the smartest. They have the most tools and resources. They have the most tools and the most resources. Right. But again, when something is repeated over and over again, people assume that it's accurate. Right. Repetition doesn't generate accuracy. Yeah, I had, um, you know, I had Gary Breck on here eh, maybe about seven, eight months ago. And he was talking about, he's like, yeah, the, uh, the, food, the food business and the pharmaceutical business, those are the last people I'm ever going to trust. And he was just talking about sugars and all these things. And then he was saying, you know, like the pharmaceutical business is really only in business if you're sick. Like these people, they, don't, they wouldn't make money if you weren't sick. And so when you start like looking at cause and effect, it's like the, the biggest reason people get you know sick is because like you said, they don't have the, the skeletal muscle mass. They're not eating the right foods. They're not working out. Therefore they get sick. So they need drugs. And it's like this thing that goes hand in hand of that. Why are people getting fatter and sicker every year? Well, we just keep telling them right from the beginning, this is what you should eat. And your goal should be to lose weight. And it's the wrong message. you know, let's, let's, um, empower people and, and quit body shaming people. It's the wrong message. Yeah. And it's like, all right, let's just tell them to, you know, have a crappy life and being fat's okay. And eating tofu and everything's great. Like it doesn't make any sense. We have an opportunity to shift that narrative and to shift that paradigm. Yeah. Do you know, there's 40 million people on statins on what statin drugs. Okay. What is that? A statin drug would be top lower cholesterol. Okay. If people care about cholesterol, one way they could care about cholesterol is having a healthy body composition and healthy muscle. Yeah. You don't need a drug. Just fix yourself. Right. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to stop being so divisive. You're going to focus on muscle centric medicine. You understand that muscle is this organ of longevity. And not only that, but we cultivate strength within ourselves and you cultivate a cultural movement. Mm -hmm. Right now we're very fragile as people. Yeah. We're taught about stress and you should avoid stress and um, don't lift too many weights. You should just do, I don't know, some other kind of exotic training plan versus be strong. Yeah. Be capable. Get your diet right. And that does include animal-based sources. I'm sorry, but it does. Mm -hmm. Could you be vegan or vegetarian and be healthy? Probably for a period of time. Is it going to be ideal as you age? No. I think it's <laughs> irresponsible. Every time I see like someone pushing the vegan diet, I'm like, uh, I would not want to look like you for the most part. But again, <laughs> again, every time, you know, people get very emotional about it. Yeah. And, I, uh, I get it. If you don't want to eat animals cause you feel bad about eating animals, that's one thing, but don't tell me it's like an actual better diet. Right. There, there's no, there's no way. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, and again, as your calories go down, the quality of the food that you're eating has to go up. So have you ever debate, debated like vegans or anything? Um, I have, it's typically the only way a debate is useful is if a person is open about it. Right. So you can't debate an emotion. Yeah. You know, um, again, you'd have to be very clear about 
just the conversation. It's, I, I found it very, uh, not useful in a complete waste of time. Yeah. And I have vegan friends. It doesn't matter. Right. right. But right. the question is, what is the ultimate outcome? If the ultimate outcome is to move the needle for people, then you cannot argue that high quality protein is bad. Yeah. Right. And I'm not saying you have to be on a carnivore diet. That's not what I'm saying. There's a place for fruits and vegetables, but now we've moved into this, let's demonize red meat. What do you think about when my guy Liver King takes it to an extreme? Well, I love Brian. Yeah. I love Brian. Yeah. Um, and that works for him. Yeah. Do you think that eating like raw livers and stuff is optimal or should we just cook it? Personally, I think that you should definitely cook your meats, all of them, <laughs> but I don't eat anything raw. Okay. You don't eat sushi or anything? No. Oh. No. Again, a portion of my practice is all military operators, so elite warfighters. I have seen more worms and more crazy stuff from the people that frequent sushi. I see two things, a lot of worms and a lot of mercury. I literally just ate sushi last night. Okay. I never, All right. I, Ed, we should probably, I eat, I eat a lot of mercury last night. We, you should not be doing that. Okay. I also don't eat anything rare. I have an open mind. So I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Yeah. I don't eat anything raw or rare. Like, can I have a medium rare steak? I don't like, do you get well done? I do. And everyone's like, God, that's disgusting. That is, that is, dis that's a, I don't know about that one. I, mean, I, I might have to lump that in with the yeah. vegans. Um, <laughs> um, but again, I'm a physician and we do a ton of gut health in my clinic. We okay. just do a ton of, I just have seen. So eating the cow's liver right after killing the cows, probably not ideal. That is a hard pass for me. Okay. All right. It's a, but I'll it's very nutrient uh, dense and rich. Uh, it's better than not eating meat, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> I don't know if I could. It was my, my child's first food. I pureed liver for them. Raw? Oh, Cooked. Cooked. <laughs> Cooked. I, yeah, yeah. I can really eat liver anyway. Um, they say liver's like such a great, it is. Okay. Has a lot of vitamin E, a lot of fat soluble, um, vitamins, individuals that are anemic. Yeah. So anemia is a real thing. Uh, loss of iron, depending on why, but it's a great source of iron. Have you seen that? I've seen on like Facebook or Instagram where they show the clip of the boys in PE back, like during world war two and stuff. They're like, this is literally what the high school boys PE class looked like. And these dudes were jacked. They were just like getting ready for war at like 17 years old. I think that's cool. But it goes in line with what you were saying of like, you go to a boys PE class today, you got a bunch of weaklings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we definitely have to shift the conversation to one of strength. Yeah. Uh, we are very fragile. We are not resilient. And we have all the tools to become way better than we are. And, you know, the other thing is that challenges cultivate capacity. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this idea that we have this allostatic load of stress and stress is too much and too bad. And you're going to lose your hair and it's the worst thing ever. People only talk about fight or flight as if it's the only way you can respond to stress. There's tendon befriend and a courage response. There's mm. other ways that we can interface with stress and it's our belief around stress. And I, that's not even to be esoteric. It's our understanding of the situation and the belief around the experience that actually shapes our physiology. Mm. You know, um, there's this idea that we have an insult and, you know, we deal with this triggering event and, you know, there, there's certain people that, you know, that kind of like never return to normal or it takes them forever to get back up to kind of baseline or they're still talking about this trauma or triggering event. That's a fragile way of being. And those are the people that 
have this fixed sense of what stress is. Think about it. Stress is one word that defines you lost your house, you got a divorce, your kid just peed all over the wall, you're at the DMV and you don't know which friggin' paperwork to use. Yeah. All of these words define one, what, feeling? Yeah. Stress. That makes no sense. And over time, we've had this repetitive conversation that stress is bad mm. and that we have to have a fight or flight response. But when you shift the experience around stress, stress is actually, it's like the bat phone ringing. It's your call to action. It's totally necessary. And there's other responses to it. For example, a lot of the SEALs that I know, including my husband, have a, a courageous response. So they respond to a stimulus with bravery. Mm. They have a capacity to cultivate bravery. And there's no narrative about anything that's happening. And a lot of women go to, there's an insult or something that happens and they go to tend and befriend, which means they become caregivers or they reach out to someone and say, how are you doing? It increases oxytocin mm. and it lowers the fear response in the brain. It's funny you say that because people have always um, told me, they're like, yeah, you know, that usually comes from stress. Maybe, you know, you, you got a lot going on, obviously. So like you, you deal with a lot of stress and all these things. And I was like, I don't know. I don't feel stressed out. Perfect. And that is a person that is going to reach their capacity. Mm. Got to understand. I take care of some of the most successful entrepreneurs. What you are saying is exactly the pattern that I see. Okay. So the, the people, l l let me tell you a story. Okay. I um, have a patient. His name is Brian. He's a SEAL of 20 years. Breacher. Guy's built like a friggin' just tank. 250 pounds. Just the largest human I've ever seen. And by the way, I'm 5'1", 100 and maybe 10 pounds. <laughs> and uh, he'd been on multiple deployments in some of the most dangerous places in the world. Never injured. Okay, this guy's a breacher of 20 years. Was home on friendly soil on his motorcycle going five miles an hour. A 17-year-old girl texting and driving completely takes him out. He lost his leg that day. Dang. He come, comes into my office and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, you know, like, how is he going to live with himself? Here's this big alpha dude and everything has changed. Mm -hmm. So I have this whole narrative about how he is processing his stressful experience. Yeah. I go, Brian, how are you doing? You know, I'm like the mama bear. <laughs> I'm married to a team guy. I got this. Tendon, yeah. tendon befriend. Totally. I got this, right? Because yeah. that is how I do it. And he looked at me and he's like, well, you know, I'm having phantom limb pain because he lost his leg. And, you know, I'm just tired. I'm not, you know, feeling the way that I used to. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I lean in. How are you doing? Like, tell me, how are you doing? And he looks at me. Like I just told him there was a crazy clown dressed up as an elephant with a tutu wearing uh, polka dotted socks running naked through the park. He looks at me totally confused. Yeah. And he's like, um, scratching his head. I, I just told you. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I launch into his story <laughs> about how he experienced the loss of his leg. Like, here you are. And, you know, I'm like, Brian. How are you doing? He's like, Doc, what are you talking about? That was like six months ago. <laughs> I'm over it. Like, that's fine. I'm over it. Yeah. And it was at that moment 
that I realized that in order to be an asset and to reach the highest level of your life versus being a complete liability is that you have to be in control of these narratives and in control of these stress responses. And then I started to think, you don't have to be a Navy SEAL. What about all the rest of my incredibly capable human patients? They all had these same characteristics. They had very short memories. They were completely neutral. And they executed on a task. Mm. So I don't know how we got into the rap that rabbit hole, but I, I think it had something to do with stress response. Yeah, like I agree with that. For me, growing up playing sports, uh, you had to have a short memory because you can't just dwell on yesterday's game and how much you sucked. You just got to get to it. Um, you can't let nerves and all these other feelings and emotions that come out during competition affect you. So you got to learn to like be very level-headed and just kind of like not, not ride these highs and lows. That's, that's right. Yeah. And so for me, even in business and everything, business is very much like sports. You got good months, bad months, you know, something happens this week, things don't go as planned. It's just like, I'm always the same. I'm like, yeah, I mean, what are we going to do to solve it? Like it is, it is what it is, you know? So that is the mark of one of the most successful characteristics that I see mm. is that at the, at the points of vulnerability, when people are at their high, cranking out programs and events, that high is their vulnerable point where they will fall off their training plan, fall off their faith, fall off X, Y, and Z mm -hmm. because they've been so stimulated. And I'm sure you've seen it. Mm -hmm. And then there's a low. Yeah. The most successful patients in their domain are neutral. Yeah. That even though they're going into a big event, they have some excitement, but they are much more balanced and neutral. And that is the sign. Remember how I told you, you tell me how a person responds and what they do and how they act in their, in their baseline of their day. And I will tell you how successful they are. Hmm. I got to, I'm going to play this clip for my buddy, Carlos. So he's one of my friends and uh, he's been on the show multiple times, but he's one of those guys who's always been very emotional and high and low. And we've talked about it, so he won't mind me sharing this, but um, he, he always asks me about some like new thing he's doing. And so like this, this last event, uh, he's like, Ryan, dude, have you started cold plunging yet? And I was like, no, I don't. And he's like, dude, you got to do it. It's going to change your life. It's been helping me a ton. And I'm like, I'm sure it's helped you a ton, but I don't really need a cold plunge. I'm good. And he was basically like, well, dude, you know, with these events, because we're going into WealthCon. And so, you know, a thousand plus people, it's a week long thing. It's a lot of work, which by the way, you're speaking at the next WealthCon, I am. which when I'm is super that? excited. Amazing. Yeah, what? we're, we're going, <laughs> well, I hope you know. No, I know, but what, yeah, yeah. when is the, when is the um, month? January 8th through yeah, right. the 11th. Um, so wealthcon.org guys, we got a huge speaker list and we're going to get our health right at wealthcon. We should do something like special while we're I there. Agree. And I'm telling you that the underlying common denominator is an individual will only ever as go as high as their health. Mm. So we could do that. Yeah. We, I'm thinking like, Oh, I don't know if we need like a workout or something, but just something cool. But anyways, so I was telling Carlos, I was like, no, I don't need it. He's like, well, bro, you have to pre-charge for the event. Cause you're about to outlay a lot of energy. And I was like, Carlos, I pre-charge every day. I wake up at five. I read my Bible. I pray. I pre-charge faithfully 
And then I'm going to get my workout in, even though it's an event, I don't really care. I'm going to still pump iron. And then I'm going to walk to the event and treat it like every other day of my life. That's it. I am telling you, and you guys, this is totally unplanned. (laughs) I talk about this all the time. And that is the mark of the most, I'm talking about the upper echelon. Let's see where you are in five years. Mm. I guarantee you, you are at the absolute top Mm. because that is a skill that you are learning at 34. You have learned that this takes a decade to learn. Mm. Yeah. And I just was like, for me working out and doing my morning routine and, and spending time with God are so important that I don't try to like put this one thing. Oh yeah. We got it. This big event. I'm like, whatever. It's freaking just pretty amazing. It's a week. And then next week I got to do whatever I'm interviewing you. I'm going to, you know, people are like, dude, you get um, nervous interviewing guys like Ed Milet and you know, all these people. I'm like, no, they're like, what do you do to prepare the same thing I do every day? Like, what are you talking about? I just, that, how, how would you be consistent if you changed what you do based on everything that was like, if you're always just doing high level stuff, prepare to do high level stuff regardless. So can't wait to see where you are in five years. I'm telling you at the top, at the top. Again, I've been a physician for a very long time, taking care of the most lethal human weapons. And I say that not because it's, you know, it's lethal, meaning they literally are lethal though. Well, those guys, but (laughs) the rest are really fulfilling their potential. Right. And that is uncommon. Mm. Why, why is it so uncommon? Because to me, it seems like common sense that you would want to maintain consistency because that's how you're going to perform when there's pressure because you just have a routine, right? Like I learned that in sports for playing my whole life of like the best players in the world have a consistent routine. Mm-hmm. It does not matter if it's the playoffs, if it's, that's right. if it's spring training, they just do what they do. They prep, they play, then they're on to the next game and the next game and the next game. And you know, I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's rocket science to me, but people, I guess it's not that common. No, it is <laughs> uncommon. And you also have your mental chatter on a leash and probably because you are so strong in your faith. Mm-hmm. Um, you are not being distracted by a lot of the external noise of whatever a narrative might be because you're so rooted in a faith that um, it allows you to be anchored. Yeah. And the energy is not all over the place. Right. And that is a behavior and a, a fundamental value that is uh, translatable to excellence. What I've noticed with a lot of people is they try to get their validity externally. Yeah. And so they're always seeking validation from others and they're seeking, they want to know what the comments say or what you know, if that video did really good or if their business did good and if the external things aren't great, therefore it affects them internally. And that's how they feel about themselves. And I was like, uh, to be truthful, I was like that when I was young playing baseball, Mm. it was like, Oh, if I had a great game, I felt good about myself. Oh, if I had a bad game, I felt bad about myself. And then eventually as I got older and went down that roller coaster for many years, I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, why am I letting this affect my identity? This doesn't, and then baseball ended. And once I had it all taken away from me, I realized that life was still going to be okay. Like I was, I was putting this career thing on a pedestal 
And once it was gone, I realized, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I can succeed in other things too. Like I'll, I'll be good either way. And I think once you, maybe people just put too much importance on a goal or a thing. Yeah. I also think that you're exhibiting, this is really good for the listener or the viewer to learn about you if they don't, is I think that you're also exhibiting something that's unusual. And what you're exhibiting, but not saying is actually courage and bravery. Mm. And again, people will have these experiences, but they feel stressed or they are riding this wave and, and subconsciously, perhaps they feel that stress is bad and, and they have to respond. And so as quote, stressful things come up during the day, they internalize it. But what you're actually talking about is living a very courageous way where stimulus happens and you know that you can rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. That's something you don't, you're not doubting if you have the capacity, it's just an execution. It's, I move forward. It's a call to action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a stimulus of, it's time to like get ready. But that is something that should be highlighted because it's teachable. That's what I'm saying. That's what I, I'm like, you, why is it so unusual? Like there's gotta be a method to getting other people to think this way. We're working on it. <laughs> We're working on it by sharing yeah. and you showing up as a leader yeah. in your domain, but more so not even by talking about, it, but showing it, which is why I'm happy to be able to highlight it for you yeah. because it is unusual. And right now people will spend decades on this roller coaster of fight or flight of this big thing is going to define me. And then it's not in this dopamine drive and ebb and flow They will spend a decade on that until they can neutralize their experience celebrate some wins, don't celebrate all, enjoy the effort and execution and not the outcome because the outcome is going to happen. It does can't control its thing. It. Yep. You can't control that. Understanding that certain behaviors potentially release more dopamine than others. Um, knowing your weaknesses when you're reaching for advice versus you're not. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I think a final thing that really bulletproofs a person is being anchored in either faith or family mm -hmm. or both. Right. So that is a natural way that let's just say helps with oxytocin production. It helps mitigate any kind of fight or flight experience someone would have. Can I say something too about faith and family? So obviously I'm very big on my family. Um, you know, three kids about to celebrate 10 years of marriage and family and my wife and everyone have been amazing. But I also caution people that if your faith is in your family, you're going to have problems, right? Because for me, if I was just totally like putting that all on my wife or my kids, I know she's going to screw up. I know my kids are going to do stupid things that are just going to annoy me. But when I'm anchored in faith in Jesus, I know that that's perfect. And so I know that, look, he ain't going to let me down. My wife will let me down and there's just nothing I can do about it. And my wife could die tomorrow and there's nothing I can do about it. And so if like, if I'm anchoring my faith in someone who is imperfect and, you know, people are people, it just, or, or anchoring my faith in my career or anchoring my faith in my podcast or my deal, whatever. It's like, yeah, that, that would create a roller coaster. So I, I agree. I think it truly is faith in God. That is the, cause that is the only anchor that could be truly secure. I mean, you're a testament as to what that is. So I think it's, I think it's very profound. Mm. So 
to kind of like switch gears, I mean, we're talking about food and workouts and faith and how all these play into your physical and mental and everything else. What would you say? I mean, we're, we're talking about the characteristics of high performers and you're like, look, they all do that, 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 that. Yeah. What are some of the problems normal people are having that are trying to become high performers? Yeah. The common problems of normal people, by the way, and all of us are human. Yeah. One thing that is profoundly surprising is that an individual will only take control up until the point that they feel worthy of having. Hmm. They have to feel worthy of the health and wellness that they are asking like they're deserving of it. So for example, a lot of people will sabotage body composition. They will lose weight, gain muscle, feel amazing. They will get to a point where they feel so amazing that they don't feel that they deserve that. Really? Yes. And they will sabotage themselves back to the level where they feel worthy of being. Okay. That's super foreign to me. Yes, it would be. Yeah. Yes, it would be. But this is something that I see time and time again, that people do not feel worthy and you will always rise or fall to the occasion of your own worthiness. So I see that. How do you improve your self-worth? You have to do, you have to do work yeah. to figure out where that came from. Cause it's usually just a bunch of lies. Mm. You have to figure that out. What do you think about, I mean, speaking of workouts to get more granular, do you believe in cardio and, and all that? The, in my opinion, the most important training that you can do would be, especially for body composition and aging, is resistance training. Lifting weights. Lifting weights. Yeah. Why is it lifting weights? Because you could lift weights faster and probably get some cardiovascular activity, mm -hmm. right? Lifting weights, you have to be able to, you've got three kids. What if there's an emergency and you have to figure out a way to pick up two and another one over your shoulder? It's actually useful. You have to be useful. Yeah. As a human being, you have to be useful and you have to be prepared for life. Yeah. You're not going to do that on the spin bike or the piece of cardio equipment. Mm. You want to be useful before you are needed. Mm, prepared. You want to be capable before you're called upon. Mm. You want to have cultivated strength before you need it. That is not the time you determine if you are strong enough or capable enough or resilient enough. That's why I think resistance training is a non-negotiable. How many days a week? How long? Yep. Yeah. So you could start with, if you're a beginner, you know, I cover this all in my book. I did a, I have a great guest. I can't read. I can't wait to read the book. I think, you, I it, think it's you're like, going to like it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm already like, you didn't bring me one. Like I want to, I want one now. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're really going to like it because it actually ties all of these things together. Okay. So it ties the history of nutrition, nutrition. It tries, ties in training, but it also ties in the mindset, the way in which we navigate this framework. Yeah. And as it relates to exercise, all right, you can start two days a week, three days a week. I really recommend three days a week, get in 10 sets per body, body part. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a beginner, three days a week is easy. Yeah. A more advanced, I think more ideal would be two days of full body and then one day of upper, one day of lower. But again, you have to have a mind muscle connection and you want to be improving. Yeah. Whether you're improving volume or whether you're improving weights, I, I do believe that, you know, that's obviously just progressive overload. But with that being said, you have to train to be capable. Yeah. And a lot of people will argue, I can do Pilates and I can do yoga. Yeah, do all of that. 
butt. And you also need to be able to squat down, pick something up, carry it overhead, swing a kettlebell, do a farmer carry. I was about to ask about flexibility because a lot of people be like, oh, I don't want to be tight and all that. But then when you said like, yeah, you got to pick things up and I'm like, well, okay, then if you're doing the right lifts, you are also going to develop flexibility and all that. And also people don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, I think adding in a day of high intensity interval training could be 20 minutes or less. Yeah. Easy. What do you say to the people who don't have enough time? (laughs) If you don't have time to be healthy, (laughs) seriously, if you do not have time for wellness. Yeah. How the heck are you going to have any time for illness? Ooh, I wish I had like a freaking cue to drop some like my boy Bradley dropping bombs on that one. I mean, if you don't have time for wellness, how are you going to have time for sickness? Yeah. That's much more expensive and all time consuming. Yeah. And huh. also it limits your ability to show up for your family mm-hmm. and leave any kind of legacy. Yeah. Um, again, it's a rookie move. I don't have time to work out. It's a rookie move. Well, I think it's like a marketing thing of like, all right, we're asking you to work out three times a week an hour. Okay. So let's just do the math guys. Three hours. How many hours are in a week? 24 times seven. It's like 168 or something like that. Right. And three divided by that. I mean, you're talking like 1% of your time, 2% of your time, you know, like what are we talking here? Again, we've set the bar really low. Yeah. We set the bar really low. And we talked about this earlier. I don't think we should be setting goals. And like my friend Ben Newman always says, we have to set set standards. Yep. You set standards for how you execute. And then the goals just kind of trickle in because you don't even at that point necessarily need to set goals because you've set a standard for how you live and how you show up. Yeah. That, that process that you're creating for your life will produce fruit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm never even like super consumed with the goals. Um, I just know if I'm doing the right actions every day, I'll be good. Like whatever happens, happens. The chips will fall where they may. Like if I can do really well on becoming a great podcast host, I'm going to end up with amazing guests like you. Like it's just going to naturally happen. I don't need to be like, okay, I got to get doctor on, you know, like I can do that. But I mean, the way we got connected was from another guest and she's like, Ryan was great. You should have my friend on and then boom, like here we are. And it's like, that's part of the process. Yeah. I think being open and not pushing and grabbing and allowing things to come is I think it's a sign of maturity. Yeah. Right. Because otherwise you could be grabbing at the wrong thing. You know, things definitely work out and they flow. They do. And if you're constantly pushing in a certain direction, then it's not the right thing. Yeah. What do you think about fasting? I think there's room for fasting. Okay. I typically had always recommended individuals fast from 12 to eight. So you like intermittent fasting. Oh, you don't. I do, but just push, push it earlier. Okay. And here's why I like fasting. It is a good way for calorie control. It is a good re- a good opportunity for bowel rest. A lot of, if you have small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, if you have any kind of gut infection, intermittent fasting, a compressed feeding window can be great. Okay. Um, what yeah. about like longer fast? Because what I've been doing, and I mean, half of mine is spiritually based, the other half is health-based, but every quarter I would usually do like a two to three day fast. I've gone even as long as five days. I think- The benefit, I mean, certainly when you're getting into that length of time, Mm -hmm. that's where the research would kick in, um, in 
more research in autophagy, which there's multiple ways for yeah. autophagy or cellular regeneration. And autophagy means a lot of different things. I love the idea of doing it from a spiritual aspect. I right. think that's very cool and has been done for centuries. Right. I also think it is a really good thing to do from just a fully, again, this is just my perspective. Maybe there's not evidence for that, but from just a full disengagement of food and other things, mm -hmm. it creates a lot of space. Um, I think when you're older in your forties and fifties, it's less ideal. Okay. Because especially when you hit 50 and again, I'm just picking that number arbitrary when you lose muscle mass, which you would lose on a fast, it becomes more difficult for an older person to put that back on. Oh, okay. And to me, the risks outweigh the benefits. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah. No, that makes sense. But yeah, I, um, I've liked it for a few reasons. I think one, you said mental, the mental side of it is really strong. Like you, you just kind of like get this reset mentally and it, you know, the more hard things you do, like David Goggins and these guys talk about it. Like if you just do hard things, like it makes you mentally tougher. And, um, I think from my perspective, it's always kind of like helped me regulate my weight because there'd be times where I would get like a little overweight from where I wanted to be. And then a fast would like get me right back to center. And I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Like I'm kind of back, you know, it's just like, yeah. it just slowly accumulates and then you just do a hard reset. I mean, I also think that there is something very powerful about doing some kind of reset. Yeah. And uh, again, it marks the beginning and the end of something. Yeah. You talked about gut health. That's something I've heard a lot about, especially with probiotics and things, but I've never really understood it. Yeah. It is definitely a very complicated topic. And uh, if people are interested, Suzanne Devkota is amazing. She has the Microbiome Institute at Cedars-Sinai. Pretty yeah. amazing. She, yeah. was a, she was actually a guest on my podcast. So we did a whole two-part deep dive on gastrointestinal health. But here's what I will tell you from a practicing physician standpoint. You should be able to eat foods without worrying about being bloated or constipated. You should be able to eat a whole array of foods. I'm not talking about a whole bunch of hot sauce and Twinkies. I'm talking <laughs> about whole foods, whether it's raw vegetables or, you know, like you name it, avocados, bananas, you should be able to eat anything and not have an issue. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many people that we see that have small intestinal bacteria overgrowth that is undiagnosed. Mm -hmm. And that would be uh, kind of full belly bloating, gas, just like they can't eat certain foods. They just always feel terrible. Mm -hmm. That's not normal. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that we see um, as it relates to gut health is a lot of infections. Okay. People that have dogs that let their dogs kiss them on the mouth, that travel through other to other countries, uh, eat a lot of sushi. Mm -hmm. um, typically, will have gastrointestinal challenges that are cyclical. Okay, every month it might flare up. Every two months, it's very cyclical. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think the biggest important, the most important aspect about gastrointestinal health is number one. This is where you see a lot of nutrient absorption. If your gut is unhealthy, then, and again, I'm speaking in very generic kind of broad terms, then your absorption, there's issues with absorption. And a good way of thinking about that is a celiac patient. Celiac right. patients um, can have can't gluten. have gluten. They typically can become anemic or have issues with calcium absorption, other absorptive um, challenges. Um, the other thing is there is a lot of 
immune tissue in the gut. And also there's this gut brain access and, uh, all of these things I think are very important, but gastrointestinal health, again, highly complex. I don't typically recommend probiotics. I recommend prebiotics. Mm. Um, things Under, that I don't the, know what that is. Yeah. Just things that the gut bacteria can utilize yeah. to produce substrates that it needs. What is up with this gluten epidemic? Like, is it, is it a real thing? What's the deal? I mean, it just depends. It depends on you. Some people are gluten sensitive and -hmm. you'll know it. Uh, you might have joint pain or might feel really tired. Again, it's a bit subjective. If you were wanting to see if you actually had a gluten, um, issue or allergy, you need to get that tested. Yeah. Cause my wife, um, got tested and hers was really high. And so she stopped and she's like been night and day like her face was yeah. noticeably like less inflamed and swollen yep. and it's kind of crazy yeah um and i do think that we see it more and more now yeah just because again whether it's autoimmune or there's just other influences yeah but overall again someone will know if they can tolerate gluten or not and if you don't want to guess just yeah. test got it easy so i want to talk about like Back to what you said in the very beginning, we kind of skipped over it because we had so many other cool things to talk about. But, you know, this this whole thing with TRT and peptides and everything else, um, because this is a new journey for me. And, you know, you you even asked me, you said, well, you're pretty young. Why, why did you get on it? And I'd like to hear the perspective that you have for people, because it, you can totally disagree with what I'm doing, too, by the way. Don't don't feel like yeah, you're no, going to no. offend me or anything. Um, but. I didn't want to get on it for many reasons. One being, Hey, you know, you're still pretty young Two being, I wasn't, I didn't know about side effects and three being you, the, the thing that you got to be on it the rest of your life and all that. And so that's why I kind of was like, eh, I'm going to try all these other ways first. Yeah. I mean, I believe in hormone replacement therapy for both men and women. Okay. We, so women would have uh, testosterone too. Yeah. Testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. We do that all the time in our clinic. Okay. We do both. I mean, okay. obviously you look at blood labs and you identify if you are a candidate, which you were at the time. Yeah. Um, there is no, I have no issue okay. with that. And I, there's going to be more and more information coming out that uh, testosterone replacement therapy has positive impacts on so many more things. So there, for example, the Traverse trial came out. Again, people typically thought that testosterone replacement causes heart disease mm-hmm. or causes prostate cancer. It doesn't cause either of those things. Right. And I think that we'll see a lot more information about the benefits of hormone replacement, whether it's for men and or women. Mm. Peptides, they just recently passed a legislation where they're pulling a whole bunch off starting November 1st. Mm. Just because there's not enough data or they don't like it. I don't know. (laughs) They don't want people to get healthy. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Maybe there's concerns about regulations and and pharmacies. I'm not totally sure. Right. But yeah. Hormone replacement therapy, the reason I asked is 34 is young. Yeah. If you go on it, do you have to go on it the rest of your life? Not necessarily. The um, certain tissues can shrink. And so it makes testosterone production more challenging. But again, we see in clinic that men can go off of it, especially if they're treated with HCG or something else. And oftentimes their testosterone returns to baseline. Mm. Uh, Again, it's variable for anybody. So what would be the proper baseline, right? Because when I first went down this journey, they're like, yeah, you know, an average guy is 300 to 900. And I'm like, 
Okay. And then you talk to other people like, nah, dude, you got to be at a thousand, man. Like we got to get you high. It, it really depends on the person. Okay. Because if you go too high, uh, receptors kind of shut down. Mm. So if you go too high and all of a sudden, you know, I've had some patients, they really push their testosterone up and they don't feel as well as when it was a little bit lower. Mm. Because it's not more is better. Okay. It's really identifying where you feel the best and keeping it within that range. Got and the it. only way you know is you treat and then you test. Got it. So you're just constantly testing, seeing how you feel. Once you're good, like with with my patients, you know, my entrepreneurial patients, they don't have time for all that. So again, I've taken care of them for years, but we test, we get them on a plan, and then we maybe test every four to six months. Okay. Make it easy. Yeah. So I guess one of the things I see just talking to friends and stuff is I'll have like buddies who, you know, we'll see one doctor, right? A doctor will be like, you know, let's just say they're at 400. Like, no, you're within range. You don't need it. And they're like, but I want it. You know, I want to be like better than just normal. And I think even for me, I'm like, well, I'm a high performer. Yeah. You know, I don't like, I need like the highest level I can be to perform my best. Right. So I don't know, like I, how do you go about navigating that issue? I mean, you just have a conversation with the physician. Okay. Um, it's a physician's job to be your teammate and keep you safe. Yeah. Um, again, if you are a candidate and you need it, yeah. Then and you also have symptoms of low testosterone, despite the levels, then and also you did it in a stepwise approach. Tried Clomid first. That mm-hmm. didn't work. I, I think that that's a I tried reasonable. Amazon. <laughs> that didn't work. I mean, it worked a little bit, but yeah. But that's all reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's all reasonable. Yeah, it's been about over a year since I finally was like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. So uh, I forgot another, you asked me what peptides I was taking. I just remembered one. I should have remembered this one because they told me it's the limitless pill. Uh, I think it's dihexa. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about that one? Yeah. What do you think of it? I mean, we don't use it a ton. Okay. But I don't know if it's a placebo effect or what, but I definitely feel like sharper. Yeah. I mean, some of the patients that are on it feel great. Yeah. 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 I think it's just like you said, it's just all feel. How do you feel as a patient? Because you're going to respond to certain things that other people won't respond to. Mm. Everybody, if I were to give you 150 milligrams of testosterone and someone else 150 milligrams, you guys might feel totally different. Right. So. What do you think about these things um, like Anavar and these like, I guess I don't even know if you would call TRT a steroid, but something like an those anabolic. Are an- those are anabolics. I think that, again, there has to be a clinical indication and they don't have clinical indications, but they should. They should. One should be able to prescribe these things. But again, uh, physicians' hands are tied. Yeah. You have to be able to meet a prescription with a clinical indication. Mm. And I think it's a challenge. Yeah, because I was talking to, uh, because I've talked to lots and lots of people, doctors, friends, you know, people have used different things. And one of the things was like, he's like, do you want to try something anabolic? And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like getting started on this stuff. He's like, well, dude, this isn't the normal things that you're probably thinking of back in the day. Like he's like, Anavar doesn't mess with your liver. It doesn't have these side effects that, you know, some of these other things did. And I'm like, okay, well tell me more about it. Like, I don't. Yeah. I think there's always risks. Yeah. Uh, especially with an oral agent. Yeah. 
there is, uh, yes, Anavar does get processed through the liver. So there's, there's risks. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they're overt risks. It would probably depend on the dose and the person. Um, but I would say that a practicing physician would have to be able to answer the question as to why. Right. Because we are not in a place where I think before there were issues with sports, they probably could go to the physician and request an anabolic. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't alive then, but uh, that was probably something. And I've talked to my really good friend, uh, Rick Collins. He's an amazing steroid lawyer. Uh-huh. And he just said there's just was this huge change when issues in sports came out. And it before it, it wasn't like it is now. It didn't even carry the stigma. But I guess to to your point at the very beginning of this podcast was, why do they have this huge negative connotation, but all this other stuff I to know. lose weight, which is maybe equally or even more dangerous. Right. It's like, oh, no, no, that's cool. Like, you're freaking, give them whatever. I know. Give them a sleeping pill. Give them this pill. Give them Oxycontin. Those things are good, but don't, don't be giving anyone anything that builds muscle. Right. Weird, right? Yeah. They they would each have their own pros and cons. Yeah. Uh, and except I, one probably has a lot more pros. Yeah. But I don't have an answer as to why. Mm. We just have to get the word out there. That's kind of where I'm at too with it. Yeah. Is like a lot of these, I get it from these fitness influencer guys perspective and everything. It's like they want their image to be a certain way. And I'm over here like, hey guys, this is what I'm doing. Like, I'll let you know how it goes good or bad. And I don't know if it works, then I might have a new business. I don't know. Like, it's just, I just am open to trying different things. Again, another sign of, uh, a person who's going to make massive impact in the world Mm. is not rigid in your thinking. Yeah. It's been interesting for sure. Uh, I guess as we wrap up here, what are some final thoughts you have that maybe we didn't cover that people need to know? Um, well, I I think we covered a lot of really important ones, but understanding that diet, nutrition, training thoughts, these are not all separate things, right? That this is the culture of your family and the traits that you embody and physical health is a non-negotiable and who you become like skeletal muscle. This is currency and it's different, a different kind of currency, Ryan. It's not something that can be bought or sold or or bargained for. It is something that has to be earned. And as you earn it, you become a certain type of person in that process. Yeah. And really, I wrote this book, Forever Strong, which I'm so grateful for you having me on to Mm -hmm. share about it. Because if we can bring this book to the masses, it will change the conversation. It will shift people away from what they have to lose and this restrictive way of being and thinking. Yeah. To what they have to gain. Yeah. And how strong that they can become in all domains of their life. Yeah. Yeah. We so, got to get it to the masses. Yes. I, uh, and I, uh, to, to piggyback off what you just said too, it's like, they all are intertwined, right? Like taking TRT is not going to make you jacked. Right. It's like, you still got to eat right. You still got to train. That's why it cracks me up when I see these guys, they're like, oh, well, of course he's freaking, he's on the, the gear. And I'm like full, like <laughs> I've been training my whole life. Well, no, I'm not even yeah. talking about me. Yeah. I'm just talking about if they criticize any bodybuilder, somebody who's like clearly worked amazingly hard and yeah, sure. Whatever. They're freaking taking steroids. I don't care. You ain't getting jacked in the comment section. Even if you took the exact same things as they took, right. cause you ain't been working at it for years. Right. 
So I think um, it's just one of those things where it's like, I guess for me, I'm seeing it firsthand of, hey, I've already developed these habits. Let's see what like adding to it does. And like, then I'll know for sure. I'm like, all right, these guys, like they're, they work really hard. Cause like I'm on some stuff and they're funny. Yeah. They're still like at another level, but cool. I will link to that book down below guys, go check it out. Also to make sure you guys are subscribed to this podcast and we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Are you a Um, fan of intermittent fasting daily? I'm a fan of intermittent fasting for people with poor blood sugar regulation. I don't think intermittent fasting is good for everybody. Just like I don't think keto is good for everybody. Just like I don't think vegan diets are good for everybody.